Hi. Richard Bay here again with uh, producer extraordinaire Albert Reynoso right there. And um, he's done some incredible work. Love that open there. That's terrific. All right. So we're back here for episode four of Richard Bay Talk. And uh, Albert says, most people that start a podcast or a video cast, they go to seven and then they give up and they say, ah, this was more trouble than it was worth. I don't say that. That's something oh. I've seen reported. Okay. Um, all right. I'd so, like to say a hundred. All right. If you don't get to a hundred, you don't th take it seriously. So f four more and we're right. over, over that hump. All right. right. So today um, we're going to be discussing a lot of different things. Um, in the beginning, I want to talk a bit about salesmanship because, you know, salesmanship is sort of what makes America run. People selling things, the advertisers, the salespeople, the, the, the concepts we have about goods and services. But it's also important in political leaders or in any leadership whether you're uh, L. Ron Hubbard or, uh, or who was the other, uh, Werner Earhart or President of the United States. And Joe Biden is one of the worst salesmen that I've ever seen in politics. And Trump is probably the best because he sells garbage and many people come and smell it like it's perfume. So um, I just wanted to point out a few things that Joe Biden should, should have been selling. Uh, and, and another thing is this, is that empathy is not a strong point for a salesman. You don't want to, a successful salesman would go, oh, you, you can't buy those slacks. They make your ass look fat. No, a, a successful salesman is not going to tell you, oh, th this car it was owned by a 21-year-old kid who used to drag race in it. No, he's going to tell you uh, it was owned by a little old lady from Pasadena. So if you have empathy for the person you're selling to, to want to tell them the truth, you may not make the sale. I remember my father, in fact, all of the men in my uh, on my father's side of the family, four, uh, my father and three brothers, my uncles, they were all salesmen. My father used to sell encyclopedias, among other things. They started out as used car salesmen. My father became an encyclopedia salesman. And he used to go into city housing projects and he'd sell people Encyclopedia Americana. And he had a great spiel, but really aren't there many things that people in housing projects might need more than an encyclopedia in the house. And, no, and how many times do you crack it open? It's like gym memberships. If the guy told you the gym membership said, hey, if you stop coming after the first two weeks, we're going to hit you with a $100 penalty. Well, that may make, may make you think twice about getting that gym membership because it's not owning the membership that's going to make you lose weight or become fit. It's actually going and using it. Same thing with encyclopedias. So anyway, Joe Biden is known for empathy. Trump is not known for empathy. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, but as far as salesmanship is concerned, there's no comparison. All right. About two weeks ago, Intel announced that 
they were opening up a $20 billion factory in Ohio that they would expand to $100 billion of satellite factories. It would bring thousands of jobs. And you know there's great concern that the microchip shortage that we're going through right now affects everything from televisions to cars to, to phones. And almost all microchips are made in the two Chinas, the Red China and Taiwan, which will probably be part of the Red China very soon. And for America's future, it's very important that we have a microchip supply that is either domestic or is assured. And Nancy Pelosi has is introducing a bill for $52 billion to ensure that we make microchips here in America. I mean, it's a very important thing. It, it, it's found in so many of the consumer items that we use every single day. Um, so the CEO of Intel said, well, we're going to build at least this $20 billion factory for microchip production in the United States, whether that bill passes or not. Now, could you imagine if Donald Trump was president? He'd be out in uh, the middle of a lot in Ohio with a shovel and saying, we're going to give it to the red Chinese. We're going to have domestic production. We don't need them. We have to do this for our national security. And I'm going to bring these 7,000 jobs uh, that they're promising, in, in, both in construction and people working in the factory. We all remember what he did with Carrier, which was like, you know, it didn't amount to hardly anything. But I remember him, the big deal about Carrier. Another time he met with some I don't think that deal even went through, but some Chinese financier who was going to build, bring jobs back to America. I don't, I think that one never was made. Oh, was I remember it? that one too. Right, yeah. Right, right, right. So Biden, this thing happened. You know, he had the CEO in the White House. Did you hear about this? I mean, I didn't even know about it until I read it in the Wall Street Journal. I mean, you got to sell these things. And it's, it's not only that, you know, when we had that pileup of cargo ships in California off of uh, L.A. and um, uh, Long Beach, remember the, 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 the media was filled with pictures of all these cargo ships backed up and they can't get into port and that's why we have a shortage of so many goods. I mean, we were inundated with that. It was a mess. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. There were 180 ships out there at one point. There are now 80. Yes, they dealt with it. And uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, he said, we're going to make this a 24-hour um, unloading to try to get more. I don't know whether that did it or what. But there's 80 ships out there. During normal circumstances, there are 60. So it's it's pretty much back to normal. Why isn't Pete Buttigieg, or better yet, why isn't Joe Biden standing on the port saying, you know, show him a picture of what happened a month or two ago and what it's like now, and I've accomplished this. You know, I, it's not a time for modesty, you know, when you're the president of the United States. Uh, here's another thing that may surprise you. 
Do you know that Joe Biden has signed more leases for drilling on federal land in his first year than Donald Trump did in his first year? And it's a, a, a let me see what it is. It's a considerable uh, difference. Yeah, but where where is that drilling? It's on federal land. But is it federal land that should be protected for natural use instead? Well, or, en I mean envi environmentalists think so. They're not okay. too happy with Joe Biden right now. He signed 3,557 uh, leases for federal uh, for drilling on federal land, oil and gas. Trump had 2,658. Now, some of this, to be fair, is because the federal government lost uh, court cases when they were trying to stop drilling on federal land and they lost some of those cases but there's more um there are more leases now for future drilling than there were in trump's first year and in fact almost every month that biden's been president um it, there are more leases signed than in any month when when um when Trump was president. And here's another thing. I mean, let, let me ask you one question related yeah. to what you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and, and just to make it quick, you just uh, spoke about uh, President Biden uh, taking the opportunity, uh, standing on the shore and saying, look what I've done. Here right. it is. Right. And but but and you're a proponent of Biden. You're you're a liberal. You're a, a, a Democrat. Right. 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 He, he can't but, do that with federal leases. No, no. Yeah. But 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 now, why would you even bring up something like that? Uh, that's what's curious to me about about right. people who stand up we, for Biden and then pound him at the same time. I'm not pounding him at the no, same time. You're not pounding time. him. But I'm, I'm saying that's information that was news to me. You know, somebody asked me oh, this okay. week and they said, what are you trying to do with this show? I saw the first one. You said, I want to make people think. And she and, and I watched that. And that first one, I just was talking about myself. She said, you didn't make me think. And I said, well, I want to bring information that probably goes against the common narrative that people uh, think is what's happening. And it's not really happening. I'm going to get into more of this when we get into inflation hysteria as well. But here's another article that I found interesting. Um, here, the Wall Street Journal. Frackers hold back production as global oil market tightens. <laughs> Joe Biden, the enemy of fracking. The White House has asked frackers around the country, the biggest companies that are doing this, uh, to increase their production of fracking. And what have they said? No, we're not going to do that. We're going, you know, the, the, the price of oil right now is so high that we're going to take all of our or almost all of our profits and not reinvest it in doing more drilling. We're going to use it to pay the shareholders and the executives and pay people back for their investment, which it's their private companies. It's their right. But at a time when this country needs um, needs some energy solution, um, they're, they're not being helpful. It's the, it's the, um, it's profits first. Now, now you got it right. That's what it always is. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Now, one of the major problems when it comes to energy is that even though Biden and his Build Back Better plan, and the when you're thinking long term, 
we're thinking of going to renewable energy sources for most of our energy needs. But the technology isn't even there yet for us to do that in a, in a, in a really, I mean, it's growing every year, but we can't get there yet. We need bridge, um, bridge energy sources. Now, I've always felt this way, that nuclear energy is the bridge. Nuclear energy is the bridge to getting to a point where we can count, if not entirely probably, but, you know, very high percentage-wise, we can count on renewable energy. Now, in France, 70% of their energy comes from nuclear. Albert, how many nuclear power plants do you think there are in France? 30. There's 59 nuclear reactors, and Emmanuel Macron has said we're going to have 14 new ones by 2050. France creates so much electricity that they actually sell it to Germany because they have a surplus. And if you've ever been to France and you walk around those countrysides, oh, that air is clean. And there have been a lot of advances made in nuclear energy and its reactors and their productions since the big mistakes of Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and Fukushima. Now, Fukushima was just ludicrous. I mean, it was a, uh, to, to build a nuclear power plant where, you, where it's possible to have a tsunami. You're just waiting for a disaster to happen. And do you know what else about France? Well, because I live not far from a nuclear plant up here. Oh, you do? Yeah. But yeah, but you're not going to hit get hit by a tsunami. No, maybe a hurricane though. Could be a hurricane, <laughs> but a hurricane I'm sure the nuclear power plant uh is hurricane resistant. I would hope so. All right. But but you know, the big problem with nuclear people always say, what are you going to do with the spent nuclear fuel? Do you know that in France they recycle their nuclear fuel? 96 to 98% of it goes to the Hague, to a recycling plant, and you can use the product over again in uh, other nuclear power plants. It comes back and it can be used over and over again. It's recycled. I, I never understood that. I mean, I thought that you had to bury it under Stone Mountain in Nevada. or it's so That was the old it. way. Yeah, that was the old way. But mm -hmm. I guess I, from what I read, it can be recycled. And France, I, Chernobyl didn't happen in France. Fukushima didn't happen in France. Three Mile Island, I mean, come on. That, when did that happen? 50 years ago? Um, you know, we're still living under the China syndrome <laughs> phobia, the same way we go into the ocean and uh, you, you're always thinking about jaws when you swim in the ocean. So... In short, I, even with Afghanistan, in a way, you know, when you, uh, um, Churchill once said, war is a Pandora's box. Once you open it up, you don't know what you're going to get inside. Anything can happen. Now, in Afghanistan, the first provincial capital fell in the very beginning of August. And Which by Afghanistan end, situation are you talking about? 
I'm talking about the evacuation and the pullout and the... Uh, okay, all right. right I just right. want to clear that up because I didn't know whether you were talking about the Russian invasion, Americans invading Afghanistan, well, we're pulling out I, of that. I, I think when, when people talk about Afghanistan these days in a political context, they're using it to hammer Joe Biden over the head uh, because it wasn't a pretty picture. Okay. okay. As we, but Dunkirk wasn't a pretty picture either. You know, and it was were, their finest hour. That's right. 62,000 Allied troops were left behind, killed, wounded, taken as prisoners. I mean, Churchill himself said, I wrote this down, we must not be blind to the fact that what has happened in France and Belgium is a colossal military disaster. I mean, he himself, but that was one line. The, the rest of it was... How wonderful, turned everything around. In fact, after Dunkirk, the other members of the cabinet, uh, Lord Halifax specifically, they pretty much were close to suing for some sort of detente or peace with Hitler. It was a rout. And now they're making movies about what a triumph it was. Yeah. You know? And I think it was incredible that in the space of 10 days, we got 125,000 people out of Kabul. That was an incredible accomplishment. Now, the suicide bomber that came in, and we lost 13 servicemen and women, and that, and that's terrible. But it's, it's war, and it's a suicide bomber. I mean, what could you have done? I mean, it could have happened. It could have happened in another circumstance. You know, uh, a suicide bomber walking into a uh, I mean, I think they have in the past. Suicide bombers have walked into um, uh, U.S. Army encampments and blown themselves up. So, you know, and then, and that, believe me, when they have the Republican convention, they're going to have the mother, just like they did with Benghazi, they're going to have a mother there crying, Joe Biden killed my son in Afghanistan, and it's, it's just ridiculous. And, and, I'm, I, and in that instance, I will say this. It would have been very difficult for Joe Biden to turn the withdrawal from Afghanistan into to, into a Churchillian triumph. But what the general mass media did at that time was, I thought, was was really unfair. Uh, but in other instances, Joe Biden's here's here's another thing. I was an actor, you know, for many years. There was um, a director called Bill Ball, a very famous, flashy director, terrific shows. And he once taught an acting class on voice. And he stood on the stage and said, if I talk like this and I keep talking with my inflection downward, after a while, you will get tired of listening and you will start thinking of other things and drift away. But if I speak with an upward inflection, you will. And he got off the stage and walked through down the aisles of the house to the back of the theater and said, listen to everything I have to say to the very end. And I was thinking, thinking about that because Trump does that. Well, you know, Trump has that sort of sing-songing upward inflection when he's finished. 
you know, Hillary Clinton, she has to go to jail. <laughs> and Biden, when he speaks, it's all down here. And it's, it's certainly not inspiring. He's certainly not an orator. I, I, maybe he could get a speech coach. I mean, Hillary Clinton's gotten, gotten a lot better. She gave a speech the other day at the uh, Democratic Convention in New York. And when I was watching it, I said, somebody's coaching her because her, her speech, I, I'm not talking about the content, I'm talking about the delivery. It was, it was excellent. All right, now, the next thing I want to get to, I'm surprised this is going so far, is inflation hysteria. Now, I was reading... Forbes, a magazine article in Forbes by an economist who was talking about inflation hysteria in this country, how the way we are evaluating inflation, we say it's 7.5%, is really erroneous. You know, when Trump was running for president, he said, when I'm elected, we'll have four, five, six percent Gross domestic product. And now, of course, he never he never even broke 3%. And Biden now has 5.7 GDP. But it's you're comparing this year to last year. We've just gone through two years of a pandemic where people were hunkered down in some instances, where businesses closed, you know, where people were afraid to go to work. Of course, the GDP is going to go up. And of course, inflation is going to go up. This guy posits that if we really want to find the true um, consumer price index for inflation, excuse me, that we should look at 2019 and factor in year to year, um, you know, wh where the inflation has come since 2019 which was a, a year when the economy was fully functional. I don't know. That makes sense to me. The other thing is uh, uh, this. He says if you do that, inflation is 4.4% and not 7.5%. Who is this guy? He is an economist writing for Forbes magazine. Oh, okay. As well as being a hedge fund manager as well. Now, it is a worldwide phenomenon as COVID was a worldwide phenomenon. Spain has um, had a 6.5% inflation rate at the end of 2021. Germany, 5.7%. Um, the UK, they just announced it. Their inflation rate is 55 5.5%. <clears throat> Those are high numbers. I mean, Certainly our number seems higher, but it's all over the world. But here's something else that I found that is interesting. Inflation isn't the same all across the country. Were you, did you ever think of that, Albert? Yes, I, I did, because <coughs> I remember hearing as a kid about inflation all the time and in the 80s. Yeah, right. And yeah, I, I do know that it's different around the country. All right, the mid-Atlantic states saw an inflation rate of 5.8%. That was the lowest in the in the nation. But the Mountain West, the states, the Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, this is according to NPR, their inflation rate was 8.6%. So all you people out in those mountain states, you're dragging up our uh, inflation rate here. Does it does it say what what factors lead to that result? 
that the no. rate is different in different parts of the country? No, is it because it, products I, are harder to get to those areas, or I would assume it's probably transportation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is that, and he posits this: there is no denying that there is inflation in our economy. I won't deny it either. I don't think but, you can. Yeah. But you should use a more accurate base rate, which I think he says. And there's no doubt, he says, that there is also price gouging. Because when the media keeps going, inflation, inflation, oh, price is going up. Oh, this is terrible. Look at the economy. He says, the message to producers is, hey, I can raise my prices. And th there's no check on me. People will just chalk it up to inflation. Now, I call, for me, I call it the, I can't believe it's not butter index. Now, I usually watch TV at night with a bowl of popcorn and I spray, I can't believe it's not butter on it. So I have a lot, when it goes on sale here, I buy a lot of it and put it in the fridge. It stays forever. <laughs> and don't tell me that it's full of chemicals. I know, I know, I know. So, but uh, I would say four or five months ago, the price was three seventy nine at Publix here in Florida, and then it went up to four oh four. It's now four thirty seven. For I can't believe it's not butter, but they just had a, a bogo, so I bought like oh six, yeah, you got them all. I, I bought six of them, put them in, pulled the them all off the shelf. And uh, why don't but you try I, butter? It's probably <laughs> cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it's more fattening. There's zero <laughs> calories. In oh, it. fattening. Okay, all right, but. Uh, and it's, I'll tell you this, I have a 2012 Audi and I used to go on Credit Karma and every week uh, the, the, the price, the resale value was going down. Now it's gone up. Mm -hmm. It's almost half, that's 2012, but it's almost half the price that I paid for the car. But if I sell it, what am I going to get? <laughs> because you, new cars are in short supply and those prices have gone up. Right. But I, I think, you know, um, my friend Jay Diamond said this because, you know, they're just raising the prices because, because the media keeps talking about it so they can get away with anything. Um, and, and there is price gouging going on. It's not the total explanation for this, but it, it's like looters, <laughs> you know, when they have the opportunity they would people who would never even shoplift go into it when they see the windows broken, they take the TV set out um, and they have an opportunity here. All right. So those were the topics for today. Oh, ex except I just heard that uh, Putin is going to recognize two independent republics in Ukraine. Well, and here's another thing for Biden. He's going too. to recognize them. Is that what yeah. you said just now? Yes. Oh, he's, he's going to take them over, isn't he? I think he's going to give them four. No, they're going to ostensibly be independent states. That, oh, sure they are. Right. That pay fealty <laughs> to our Lord in Moscow. Um, but, you know, another thing Biden should get credit for is when Trump came to office, all the Trumpsters and the right wingers and Fox News, they were all saying NATO. NATO is what time am I at? Oh, 27. Oh, I'm going to be long. NATO is obsolete. We don't need NATO anymore. Why don't we disband it? We all we all knew that Trump was divisive over NATO. This 
crisis under Joe Biden's leadership has solidified NATO. And think about this. Why do Latvia, Lithuania, um, uh, Estonia, Romania, Poland, uh, Norway, why do they all want to be in NATO? Costs money to be in NATO. Why do, why do they all want to join? You know why? Because the big bad wolf is next door and the three little pigs, you saw the cartoon, <laughs> could come in and blow their house down without NATO. Why do they want to join NATO? Because they're afraid of Russia. And so NATO is a protection racket? Is that what you're saying? It's a group. You give us a little bit every year. We'll, we'll take care of Russia. Don't worry. No, well, now they're now uh, through uh, through Trump's machinations, they're paying more to support okay. NATO. It's not just the U.S. It's a bunch of people getting together. It's like the townsfolk in the old westerns when they get together because the the uh, the robbers are coming to town, yeah. right? So they so they get together. And this weekend, on um, State of the Union, the president of Finland was the guest. And he was asked about Finland joining NATO. And he said, well, a lot of people in my country are talking about it. And if Russia uh, takes over a part of Ukraine, more people will be, will be clamoring for us to join uh, NATO. Now, Finland has an 850-mile border right on Russia. So, you know, screw Putin. I would say this. If he divides Ukraine, I think we should fast crash, uh, uh, fast track Zelensky's application to join NATO and start talking to Finland. <clears throat> okay. Don't let them get away with this. All right. Now, the last thing I'm going to talk about is live television and what happens on live television, because I'm going to show you clips uh, from one instance. And man, I'm already over. Okay. So, you know, most shows that you watch on TV aren't live. The morning shows are all live today in GMA. And uh, The View is live. And uh, Kelly Ripa and that Android, that's live. <laughs> um but the rest, uh, oh, the view is live on the East Coast, but not on the West Coast. But, you know, most of the other talk shows are all taped. Richard Bay Show and People Are Talking was live for a while. Now, we were live with the Richard Bay Show when we started to be syndicated to Los Angeles. And we were starting off the show. We wanted to have... Um, something that would get attention. So we had something called the sexiest couples contest. And it was husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends. And they were in swimwear and they had to play different games. And there was one point where we had a big viewing table. And I said, um, I said, well, um, approach the table and give us your sexiest pose. And one guy and his girlfriend, his girlfriend went down, laid on her back and spread her legs. And he put his head between her. I jumped in front of them and said, no, no, that's not what I'm. I thought he was going to flex his muscles and she was going to. Do. And we were live. Oh, and it was and it was Yom Kippur on top oh, of good. everything. 
And from that day on, the show was never live again. But I'm going to show you a different clip. This was when I was in Philadelphia. People are talking. I have one guest for the hour. It's Debbie Reynolds. And like two minutes before air, live at 10 a.m., the producers come in and say, we just got a phone call. Debbie Reynolds is stuck in traffic from the airport. We don't know if she's going to make it. And they say to me, what are you going to do? <laughs> what am I going to do? So it's we had your a name uh, on the front of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we, we had a piano there. And um, I said, I turned to the cameraman and said, all right, let's push the piano out center stage and start off. Um, I'll start playing the piano and start off with a shot of me playing and talking. And in my mind, I was racing. What rhymes with Debbie? What rhymes with live? What rhymes with Bay? What rhymes with, De you know, because if you put the words together, you can make sense out of them later. And this was the opening to the show when Debbie Reynolds didn't arrive for 15 minutes. Good morning. I hope you're having a nice day. This is People Are Talking, and I'm Richard Bay. We had a show, but it really ain't ready. Cause we're waiting, we're waiting for Debbie. Whoa! Here. You may think I'm in a lot of pain. I'm waiting for the lady who sang in, singing in the rain. You may think I'm fooling, but this really ain't no jive. This is what happens when you do a show that's live. You know, we can skip. You can skip the rest of this part if you cold. want to stop it. If you want to stop it, I went into the audience. I spoke to them about their favorite Debbie Reynolds movie. I spoke to them about Debbie Reynolds splitting up um, 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 with um, Eddie Fisher. Elizabeth Taylor stole. I mean, it was the biggest story of the time in the fifties. Um, so I'm going to go to the second clip now, uh, and Debbie Reynolds. I will say this about the interview is that um, she wasn't as she was, she was certainly very nice, but she had her persona. She wasn't like other people. I interviewed Sammy Davis jr. Or Patricia Neal who seemed to be vulnerable and open, uh, but she was very, very nice uh, and gracious. 
And I had just asked her about how did she survive all that? You know, her husband left her for Elizabeth Taylor. You know, I didn't say it, but the woman who was seen at the time as the most beautiful woman in the world. And she said that it was her religion and her children that got her through it. And then I asked her to join me at the piano for this. Can you come over here by the piano? Oh, gonna... yes. Yeah. Are you going to play? Yeah, well, just I'll a little bit. I'll stay here. Oh, you'll stay there? No, okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> I hear you play great. No, I don't play. You don't play great? No, I don't play. Well, this you is... play around. <laughs> no. I play around 88 <laughs> keys. Around 88 keys. I think keys. it's great. I play the French horn. You don't have one on hand, do you? <laughs> I'm just going to play some of these songs. Tell me about the memories that they bring back. If you can just free associate a little bit, okay? All right. Abba dabba 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 said the monkey to and the And here he is, Carlton all night long they chatter away. It's too slow, see the whole the object of Abadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadab
offered by Charlie. Oh, I didn't even get it. Did you get that? It was not a big hit, folks. This was not a big hit. Not now, not then. But the movie was fun. It was with Walter Matthau and Tony Curtis. You had to play a man, though, really. I had to play uh, Charlie, who dies as a man and comes back as a woman. It was a fun role. I could, I could be very uh, masculine in all my moves. It was a hard part, actually, to make it come off and not appear to be very butch, you know, to be feminine. Oh, he's got another one. <laughs> one more here. Okay. Hope you'll stick around for Debbie and me. We're right here on Channel 3. We'll be back in just a moment. Oh, boy. Coming up on Wednesday, the legendary Carol... And Carol Channing, she was a character too. Anyway, I always, every week I'm saying I want to make these shorter. And this is probably the longest one we've had. So let me keep this short. If you have questions or comments, uh, you can put them under the YouTube video and I will try to answer them. This week I'm also going to try to post some um, um, articles uh, that go a little deeper uh, over the topics that uh, I've discussed here on the on the podcast and remember you can follow it on google podcast apple podcast spotify youtube facebook under richard bay talk and once again folks thank you so much for spending some time with me and now as always all my best mm -hmm.